Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of 747 Conversations. On this podcast, we're talking all about gratitude, empathy, craftsmanship, the art of building beautiful things, making meaningful human connections. And today's guest is certainly no stranger to that. I don't really know where to start with today's guest, Renee Bemis. She is kind of a woman who does a lot of things. And she's actually succeeded at most of them. Uh, about two years ago, Renee and I were introduced by her uh, nephew, fraternity brother of mine, Mike Jurgens, And we had such a beautiful first chat. They were going to go on to be uh, one of the presenting sponsors of our God, our, our first book launch uh, that ended up then having to be rescheduled because of the pandemic. And she really puts her belief in people. She believed in us when we were just pasta sauce in a book. Renee's got quite a background. Um, everything from playing in the U.S. Open twice as a golfer to being a sculptor whose statues tower large and loom in great local communities, honoring heroes, firefighters, and fighters. Her and her husband have a car dealership, which is one of the better car dealerships uh, you could ever imagine. And on the side, she also has an olive oil company and, oh, by the way, a multi-time Inc. 500, fastest growing company in the country, producing a 90-point bourbon whiskey and a double gold medding, double gold medal winning uh, brand. It's really unbelievable how she manages all of this. She has an artist's heart. She, lo- she uses processes that are ancient techniques, and she does life with the best of intentions. So, Renee... Welcome on the podcast. Wow. Thank you. I, I'm just honored to be here. And after hearing that, I was like, wow, <laughs> sounded <laughs> great. Yeah. Wow. I, I don't know. <laughs> Sounds like I've had a pretty good life, huh? Yeah. Actually, uh, um, you know what? I've had a great life. Yeah. Well, I, I want to dig into that in a little bit. But Renee, we always ask the same question at the start of every podcast. The same question we've used to spark over 500,000 relationships around the dinner table. Renee, if you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, that you've never thought to thank, who would that be? Wow, that I never thought to thank. Well, it's kind of a strange question because giving thanks for what part of my life. I've got so many different facets. So if it was giving thanks to being um, the person that I am, because I always give thanks to my husband all the time, but I have a baby brother who, um, and his wife was my best friend in high school that are always there for me through thick and thin. I mean, I, I tell him, thank you, but you know, um, being there just in life in general, that would be a person that I would say, I, I would say, I don't probably thank enough. He's just always, always there. Um, 
usually, you know what, Chris, I thank people. That's one of the random things I like to do. Somebody does something or even when they're not, I, I always thank them for their time and their support and their, their efforts. And, um, because to me, that's, um, uh, it changes the way your relationship is with people and to let them know they, they're, um, appreciated is huge. So I kind of tell people that all the time. So that's kind of a random question. I don't know, but, but maybe through the podcast, I'll come up with someone else and I'll go back to the beginning and say, let me go back. You know, it's, um, it's, you know, it's interesting for you to already come into this conversation with a, you know, a, a recognition that others have done many things from you, uh, for you in, in your past and that acknowledging them on a consistent basis is something that you would do throughout your whole life. Uh, do you know when that began? Do you know, I think that probably began way back when I was a teenager and I was a golfer and um, a random experience. So one time I was playing in a tournament and I was, I was young and I, I didn't have a group to play with and it was the practice round. And so I went up to the tee box and was like, you know, can I join you guys? And I remember the people that I was asking were some hoity toity people. I don't remember who they were at the time. I just remember the experience and they said no. Because they didn't know me. And I remember thinking, I will never treat people that way. It was such a profound thing in my world that to be judged like that. Um, and I've taken that through my life the next, I don't know, what, 50 years, maybe not 50 yet, but um, I've taken that experience and I always thank people we can't be where we are in this world. I can't do the things that I do in all the different facets of my life without a whole crew of people that work around. And it's because of them, I'm able to do what I can do. So I thank mm. them all the time. I tell them they're doing a great job. I try to be positive with them at all times. But yeah, I'd say that's when I, I think that was the time where I realized it. These these hoity-toity people at the time, <laughs> I, I imagine that a, a definition of hoity-toity is that they've accumulated great wealth by running a company or inheriting a company or inheriting a massive fortune, and their hands probably didn't touch something that they were proud of, and that's where their ego comes in. Now, you were a young gal who was working with your hands, letting your hands guide you, maybe realizing that I might not ever build something hoity-toity scalable like they did, even though you have, um, but that you were dedicated to your craft. Did they, did you feel that they looked down on you because you were dedicated to a craft? No, I don't 
think so. Um, but you know, I have to tell you that I'm just come from a different place because everyone that meets me will tell you that my glass is full. It's not half full, it's full. And so I'm always looking at the positive side of life. I'm always, I say, the standing joke is everybody knows that I say, I live in La La Land because I love what I do. I, I love the people around me. Don't get me wrong. I've had my own um, strife in life. You know, as a young girl, I was very sick. And, you know, I, I, it's not like I've just walked through life without any hardships. It's your attitude and it's the way you look at life. And so, yeah, I probably didn't really, if they did look at me like that, I probably didn't even notice it on that way. You know, well, I probably didn't affect me. You know, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned, hey, I was sick. I've been through adversity. I've been through hardship. Right. I grew up a different way. That's probably why you're so grateful is that you acknowledge that you couldn't have gotten here in life without the help no. of others. No. And the other thing, Chris, which I always say to people, because someone will say, oh, this or that. And I'll go, we are who we are because of all the experiences, good and bad. People always want to say, oh, I don't want to have those bad experiences. You know, they're terrible. You know, I'm, I'm going to protect my kids from having this bad experience. But that bad experience makes you who you are today. You know, a lot of the people of my generation or whatever, um, we had to deal with, like you say, adversity and so forth. And so we've come up a certain way. And and that's why I say people want to protect their kids and they wonder why do their kids not have the same values? Well, they don't have the same values because they didn't have those adversities that they had to deal with, hmm. right? So because of those things, everything we have to deal with, makes us who we are. Wow. So the adversity that we deal with is what our values are derived from. I think so. Right? Wow. No? I agree. I just <laughs> never thought of it that way. Right? It is. We are you who know, we are because of all of our experiences. And when you want to eliminate one, whether you look back and for me, might have been health. You say, I wish I would have had those health issues, whatever. But it made me a stronger person mentally, physically. You know, those things as a kid, it, it made me who I am. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, you could take it another way. And those are the people that are, woe is me. Woe is me. Life's giving me a hard, you know, I can't make it. I wasn't ever going to do that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting we believe that entitlement comes in two forms. Entitlement is either someone tells you you're special all your life. And so you walk around thinking you're better than others and that's entitlement mm -hmm. or entitlement is the woe is me principle as well. I've been through hardships that you've never had to be through. And so I deserve your pity and handouts. Right. Um, and so you were kind of in between. I mean, right. you, and, you, and you didn't succumb to either of those. No, I wasn't going to because, you know, we don't know how many times you get to come back here, but from what we know, it's just this one time around. So you better have a, you better do it right. And you, you got to treat people well. You know, you want to, um, I, I don't know. It's just the way I was, I was raised that way. And so you had a, 
you had a good thing going with golf. You were playing in two U.S. Opens. You were succeeding in, the, in, in these different things. But one day you realized that you're probably not going to become a pro. Exactly. And you should probably do something about it. And so you, you happen to find a new medium, clay. Right. Right. And you sat there observing things in life and then letting your hands guide you. Right. And through all of this, even with no academic training, no formal training, you soon, you, you soon picked up a new trade and then you even began teaching the classes yourself. Yeah. Uh, what allows a person to do that before needing to feel like they have to perfect something just to teach it? How do you get through that? Um, that's a pretty good question. I kind of got thrust into it. Um, and so I, I had to learn how to do the teaching. I was, um, so I was, I didn't know anything about art at all, except that when I was a little girl, I enjoyed playing with clay, did ceramics, but I didn't do, I mean, I actually sculpted little ceramic things. So I wanted to take a course in art once I knew I was going to play golf. And through a roundabout way, um, someone said, well, this is the person you need to talk to and she'll teach you or, you know, take her course. And she wasn't doing a course. So she said, if you come and work for me, I'll teach you what I know. And so I said, okay, well, within a few months, she was teaching some classes. She was actually teaching sculpture live from models. And she got sick and couldn't do the class and told me I had to go do it. Hmm. And so I was like, okay. But I had been there and had watched her and I understood what she was, how she did it. And so I could help. And actually teaching is really good for learning your, for yourself because now you have to verbally put into words what it is that you already know in your brain. But how do you relate what you know in your brain or what you can see into words? And then that helps with your own. Um, I think that that helps you as an artist. So um, I did do some. And then after that, I've done teaching. I've offered uh, done scholarships for high school students because they don't have sculpture in the high school. Hmm. So I went to the school and I said, three students that would you'd like to have learn sculpture and I'll give them scholarships. They can come to my studio. I'll give them all the tools. I'll give them all the clay. Um, and I did it for the month of July, Tuesdays and Thursdays from say 12 to four. So they came the first time they came at 12, left at four. The next day they were there at 11. Um, by the end of the month, they were there from like 10 to six and I'd have to kick them out of my studio. And they were like, can we please go all through August? So I did it for a few years and it was wonderful because I got to, um, I, I really got to enjoy a perspective from a younger generation. And I believe that they had a great time. So it was good. And, and this, it, it, it's beautiful what you do for others, 
But this posture of otherness, this observations on life, this teaching of others in order to learn yourself and providing opportunities for others, you know, how do you think we can instill this in in our future generations? Well, that would be a great thing to figure out. Um, this whole pay it forward, maybe. I think if you do for them, like what I just did for the high school students, maybe when they have an opportunity and they're in a position, they'll do it because they'll say, hey, it was something that was very positive in my life. Um, and so I want to do something for somebody else. I, otherwise, I don't think you can teach it. In other words, I don't think a, a teacher can sit there to a classroom and say, you need to do this. I think a, a child, a younger generation has to experience somebody giving of themselves for no reason other than out of, like you say, out of gratitude or out of a, a sense of wanting to help for them for their future, for them to say, I'll do it for the next generation. It, it We have to do something and change the way people look at things. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, L- luckily, gratitude um, is a tool that people can use to go from a level of stagnation entitlement, expecting the world to provide for you, to then shifting around that model into generativity. Um, quite literally, in Eric Erickson's 1958 paper of the nine stages of psychosocial development, he found that the opposite of stagnation in life is generativity. And the only two things separating those are just a, a change in perspective. Right? You're not a glass half full gal. You're a, no. that gla- that glass is full, <laughs> you know, and, and, and if we can, if we can teach that, right. You know, to kids now you, you mentioned, um, you mentioned that, you know, you, you, you got maybe lucky to overcome adversity or to, to have adversity to overcome. And, and that's what really, you know, guided you to your life's work, um, This past year was, <laughs> you're giggling about it already. Um, th- this past year was uh, met with challenges as a whole for the industry. I mean, of the global whiskey sales, global whiskey sales have fallen by about 41%, about 700 million, and nearly a third of whiskey's employees have been furloughed. Mm-hmm. Uh but y'all got through it and kind of did the opposite. Yes. Um, tell me what this year has been like and why overcoming the challenges at the start of your newest company with getting rid of your partner um, allowed you the wherewithal to foresee how to be prepared for this pandemic. Well, I don't think anybody was aware that a pandemic could happen on this, on this level. Uh, it's not just the pandemic. It, to me, there was a whole shift in the 
attitude of people as well. It wasn't just the pandemic. So, um, but for us within the whiskey business, we had made a conscious effort a couple years ago to, there's two things. You've got on-premise and off-premise. On-premise represents restaurants, bars, and so forth. Off-premise are your um, retail stores or your liquor stores and grocery stores, anywhere that sells the alcohol. Um, so we made a conscious effort to deal with off-premise and to push our product that way, do tastings and things like that, versus trying to get into every restaurant and bar, um, which will take one bottle. It's hard to get it on the menu. Um, it's hard for people. So we felt like we were going to do it in a more organic way and go through the off-premise, um, which we were doing. And we had a nice stronghold. And then lo and behold, the pandemic hit and restaurants and bars were closed. So some of the craft distilleries who had pushed all of their marketing dollars and their whole uh, process of how they wanted to push their product through on-premise were shut down as mm. well as international because the, the tariffs and all sorts of things just shut them down. And we just happened to be on that lucky side of it because we were already working all the off-premise. On-premise is opening up now and we can go in and say, because people are saying, do you have Driftless Glen? And so now they want to have us in there because people have been trying it on the off-premise. So that all worked out um, to our advantage. We, um, we were very proactive in the sense of we have air purifiers in our restaurant. Um, we have hand sanitizer on all the tables. We actually, going back to gratitude, so to speak, um, when a lot of craft distilleries switched over to doing hand sanitizer to actually sell it, and make some money on it. Um, my husband and I made the mm -hmm. conscious decision not to do that. It was a twofold reason. One, uh, hand sanitizer goes through the FDA. And we felt like that even though they're saying, yes, make it, make it, make it. We felt like the government's going to come back and say, uh-uh you didn't have the proper, um, whatever, you know, uh, legal things to make it. So mm. you needed to be a licensed chemist or a licensed pharmacist to be able to create it. The three main ingredients are ethanol, which is what we have, mm -hmm. hydrogen peroxide and, um, glycerin. Well, hydrogen, Hydrogen peroxide and glycerin, anybody can get. It's the ethanol you can't get. So when this whole thing happened, what we did is we donated all the alcohol, all the ethanol to the hospitals, to the uh, health centers, um, the fire stations, wherever it was, whoever needed it, okay, all the first responders, whoever needed it, we donated the alcohol for them to make. Okay. And then we, so we donated hundreds and hundreds of gallons of alcohol. Ultimately hmm. we 
started making some for ourselves, just for our, um, the restaurant and for the car dealerships. We, we had to make it for the dealerships because they have to wipe down everything, every car and all sorts of stuff. But we didn't do it for sale um, because we just didn't want to get caught. Funny enough, right at the end of the year of, of 20, um, the Department of Health, who was it? Uh, forget who it was. They, they were going to put a $18,000 um, chargeback on anybody that created the hand sanitizer. It was this big mm. thing. They were, they were going to just do this random tax. And um, one of the people had reached out to me and I ended up going on television regarding it and saying this was the exact reason why we didn't want to do it because we weren't sure what was going to come back. And they ultimately got them to drop it. But they said that they were going to hit a tax on, they just figured it was a good way to get some extra money or something. I don't know. Um, so that's what we did on the hand sanitizer during the pandemic for donations and stuff. And, and I do believe that um, we had a lot of people say, we'll never forget Dripless Glen. We'll, we'll buy your product. We'll come to the distillery and have dinner there. And, you know, you guys were good to us. It comes back again. It's, it's always that circle. It always comes right back to you. That's the gift. That's the cycle of gratitude. Right. That's the contagiousness of giving. Right. My question to you is, you know, obviously you're, you're, you're sitting in a space where your revenue is up mm -hmm. and all eyes on you with awards and you're in a pretty darn good space and, and so good of a space that you could afford to gift tons and tons and tons of hand sanitizer uh, or alcohol for hand sanitizer. But, you know, other people aren't in that position. Right. And my question to you is, how do you instill or suggest people who didn't have the same great fortune that you had during this, how do you suggest they find ways to give to help others out through this pandemic? Well, time is the biggest gift. Mm. So all you have to do is give your time. Time doesn't cost you anything. Well, it does cost, but you know, not really. It doesn't financially cost you anything. Um, I know people that wrote letters to the elderly that were imprisoned basically during this pandemic, they just randomly wrote letters to them to let them know, Hey, you're not forgotten. What did that cost? Cost nothing, cost time. And trust me, the elderly that received those letters, they, <laughs> it meant the world to them. So mm -hmm. we have to just teach people. It's not a monetary gratitude. Isn't about money. It's not, and that's, that's really a misnomer because <laughs> if someone comes to me and they want something and really, they just want to check, that's, that's really not going to help the situation. I mean, it might give you some money, but, but it doesn't help. You know, you have to do something for that. And, you know, like I say, just time, I think is the biggest thing. Go out there and somebody needs help. You know, you need to uh, pick up 
pick the weeds in the yard, go help them pick the weeds or help them grow the, grow the vegetables. Or if you are growing vegetables in your backyard, donate some of them to the people that are on the street or something. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But that random act of kindness is what's needed nowadays. Just do it. Somebody, you just do it. Actually, a smile. This world is so angry right now. Just a smile goes a long way. You know, it's interesting. We once, well, we often said that not all gratitude given is gratitude heard, which means just because you're trying to go out and show someone gratitude doesn't mean they're actually receiving the message because it not might not be in the language they like to receive that gratitude. Mm-hmm. Have you ever read the book, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman? No. It's a great book outlining that essentially humans like to receive love mm-hmm. five different ways. Either words of affirmation, quality time, physical touch, gifts, or acts of service. And so when you're going out to show gratitude, make sure it's in the language that the recipient likes to receive it. Um, my question to you what, Can is, I just inter- interject? Yeah. Part of, the, part of maybe the issue with the problem, I should say, with the world is that we're so used to the one language being the gifts, so that if mm-hmm. you don't actually get the gift versus the affirmation and the other, uh, the other things that you were saying, the other four languages, people actually um, associate an item, a gift as gratitude. Yeah. You could, you could, you could, uh, you could be of service. So, 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 so much to someone, but if all they want to do is get a hug, right. Then, they're not looking at your love effectively. So my question is, what is your love language? Hmm. Um, I, I don't know. My love language is I'm very, um, I'm a very touchy feely. Like if, if I'm talking to someone, I'm, I'm more about relationship. I'm more about time. I want your time. I don't, um, and and yet I don't have a lot of time to give to people that aren't aren't um, good souls. How's that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I'll give up as much time for anybody a a good person. They'll have all the time in the world, but not so much for a person that that just wants to, as as my husband likes to say, suck my energy from me. Mm-hmm. Okay, because I am an energy giver, and it's usually a positive energy, but um, I'm willing to help just about anyone. And he's like, Renee, be very careful because you've got people that just want to be around someone positive because they, there aren't people out there like that. Um, you, you're like that. I can understand where people would want to suck your energy as well. It's tough. Or no. I, well, I, I thank you for saying that. Um, I, I think I'm, I think I'm positive because, uh, maybe people like you and me know, you know, what it means to go through tough times and persevere. 
and the level of hope, pride, and optimism that comes from processing negative life experiences is actually what what helps us through. The good news about life is that what we're going through as a country today, what we're going through in our world today, mm-hmm. aren't the biggest challenges the world has ever faced. That's oh, the good no. news. <laughs> That's the great news. Right. We have survived far bigger plagues, far greater periods of social unrest, political divide. We'll get through this. Right. It'll take a couple of years, but we'll get through this. Yes, we and, will. And so people like you, a great observer of life, of people, of places, through your sculpture, of history, through where you decided to even place your distillery. I mean, this is some, some old world type of thinking that's needed in order to be more optimistic for the future. So the, there, what's that? Say, the people, the, the people have to stay positive. That's mm-hmm. our biggest uh, hurdle at the moment because you see so many people are so negative and angry and upset and just mm-hmm. they're, they're just for the, all you have to do is look at them the wrong way and, they're going to flip off, you know, they yeah. just, and that's the hard part. You just kind of want to go, don't live life like that. This is, you got one shot at it. Enjoy it. Smile, smell the roses and, and enjoy every bit of it. Bring love to others, bring peace and happiness to others. It does that might be, that. that might be the title of the podcast. Bring love to others. <laughs> <laughs> right. It, well, it's true. Well, Renee, it's it's been a pleasure having you here today. Yeah. Um, Do you have any last words in closing? No, I think um, I've really enjoyed this. It was more just about life, and um, it was great to talk to someone that was positive. I I was very during this last year. I was cautious in what I would say because. Like I said, the the world seemed to be in an angry place. And um, I used to say to my husband, I can't, it hurts my soul. This this negative energy in the world hurts my soul. I can't Mm. do it. And I actually turned off television. Um, I turned off news. I turned off all the bad, anything that was negative out there. I stopped it. I'm not going to have it infiltrate into my life. And the more people that start saying, I'm not going to have that negative, I'm going to just uh, open my soul to the positive. Positive attracts positive. It's, it's the uh, way of the world. Okay. It's scientifically done. So if you're a negative person, you attract negativity. If you're a positive person, you attract positive. And Hmm. I would say to the people, anybody listening, just say, just try to wake up in the morning. Um, there was a fellow years ago, I forget he, his name, and he did these um, audio tapes. Anyway, he said, the first five minutes of your day set the tone. If you get mm. up out of the bed and you hit your foot and you, or you do something, and, you're, oh, oh, and, you're getting, and you get in that mood, your whole day is like that. But if you get up in the morning and you sit there and you just sort of embrace and say, good morning, life. It's going to be a fabulous day. It's wonderful. Have a positive attitude. Your day pretty much stays positive all, all day. 
And so I think if people start to change the way they look at things when they first wake up, maybe we'll all in it be in a better place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I know you do it. Uh, well, you know what? There's a whole book about it called The Miracle Morning, written by a guy named Hal, Hal Elrod, who used his morning routine to cure cancer twice. Oh, wow. And it's all about reading, writing, meditating, e- eating, working out, you know, for an hour every morning before you even look at the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's great truth to what you just said. I, I love that. And and disconnecting. I mean, I know we're on a podcast, but disconnecting from, and getting back to nature, getting back Uh to the earth, mother earth. We do that. If you just go out and spend some time outside, start listening to the birds and Mm -hmm. take walks and stuff like that. It's good for your soul. And so many people forget it and they don't have the time for it, so to speak, but you have to make the time for that. You have to make the time. And most people don't plan to fail. They just fail to plan. So there you do go. it, put it on the calendar. If you need a place to go, you can go up to uh, the Driftless Glen Distillery. There and you go. Go through the longest free flowing river in the United States using right. uh, oh, it's a hell, hell of a place to visit. Park. Uh, yeah, a wonderful park there. Um, and yeah, come on up, see us at Driftless Glen. <laughs> well, you, Renee, I, I can't thank you enough for for coming thank and spending you. time with us. I think our listeners have learned so many groovy things. There's there's a few lines in there that that kind of really stood out to me. Uh, that that I know we'll put in the show notes as the takeaway notes, but I, I really learned a lot about positivity and how it comes from it. It comes from the knowledge that you can get through your own tough times it and, does. and that's all you can control, right? You right. can't change the fact that the world hurts you or that you do something, but you can, you can control how you respond to it. And you it happen is. to respond to challenging times by stepping up to the plate being there for others and maintaining a posture of giving and openness. And oh, by the way, it's, it's why you've become a multi-time founder on the Inc 500 and having a heck of a good time along the way. So y'all, the principles we talked about here today, they work. Trust me, they Mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. Um, So check out Driftless Glen, check out, Renee and Brian's auto dealerships, check out her sculptures, check out her olive oil company. I mean, my <laughs> golly, check out everything this, this lovely lady is up to keep tuned in. If you have any questions, comments, thoughts, concerns, let me know. And I'll reach out to Renee. Renee, where can people go to find you? Um, you can go to Driftless Glen or you just, you know, my name is easy. It's R-E-N-E-E at Driftless Glen. Write to me. I respond to everybody. Heck yes. I well, I look that. forward. I look forward to a, a, a beautiful partnership and friendship for years to years to come. And, yep. big, and we big... are going to do one of those launches. Let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. When, when the world gets back to where it when is, the we, world we are going to do back. one. Yeah. <laughs> so keep great. an eye, keep an eye for a 747 Driftless Glen partnership surrounding our second book about the resilience of gratitude, a counterintuitive approach to getting through hard times. I hope y'all are having a phenomenal day on earth. Remember, it's your world. Go explore, and we'll see you 
next episode. 